Amen. Amen. The applause is always for Jesus. I don't know about you all, but I'm just so glad he still uses available mud, and I'm glad to be mud that uh, he, he uses. You can be seated. You know, Jesus spit on the dirt one time and anointed it and made anointed mud out of it and wiped it on blind eyes, and they were opened. All right. Lord, I was in the Army, and I've been married twice. I can take orders. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But I'm delighted you're here this morning, and happy Mother's Day. You know, chances are, if your mother never had children, you won't either. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So I'm glad that you're here on this Mother's Day. My mom's been in heaven a long time. Uh, I love her and miss her. I remember when I, we, I was a little kid, I guess, Renee, you probably too, and probably you guys are all raised in church. So I remember back in the old days, Barbara, that we, on Mother's Day, if, if your mother was living, you'd wear a red rose to church, and if she had passed, then you'd wear a white rose to church. And so you could just spot, you could just look at everybody there and just tell what position, you know, they, they were in. But my mom left us in 2009, and uh, she's uh, having a good time today, I'm sure. But uh, I'm delighted uh, for mothers. I appreciate mothers. Thank God. I, I have preached for many, 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 many years. I've been in the ministry 53 years and been a missionary 53 years. Uh, that women, everybody say women. Women are the backbone of the church. Uh, they have been throughout history. They're not quite so as much today simply because we have so many uh, single moms today and women in the workforce today. That, and so they end up being pushed into a, a position that they didn't used to be uh, in. And so the men went to work and they did things they shouldn't do and thought things they shouldn't think and said things they shouldn't say and, and thought about buying and selling and hiring and firing. And, and the ladies stayed home uh, and, and were just the backbone of the church, just the backbone of the church. Nowadays, ladies go to work and they think things they shouldn't think and say things they shouldn't <laughs> say and think about hiring and firing and buying and selling and hanging out with the wrong people at the water fountain. But, and so they get in that same pressure cooker uh, that men have been in forever. Uh, and that's hurt the church. I'm not against women working. I'm just saying it's hurt the church. It's not the same. And when I was a little boy, we, the, the ladies of our church, uh, man, they, they were cooking stuff all the time, selling for the church. They were sewing things and selling for the church. They, they, were, they were the backbone of the ministry. And like I said, they always have been throughout history. Still are today, just not to the extent they used to be. But, uh, you know, Luke chapter 8, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 8, it says that Jesus went about everywhere preaching, teaching, blah, blah, blah. And it says in the, verse 1, and it says, and the 12 were with him. Well, we've all known that. Everybody, everybody and their dog knows that the 12 were with Jesus everywhere he went, those 12 disciples. And they were involved in crowd control, and they were involved in making things happen and, and moving things along and, and helping Jesus preach and helping with, with the sick people and helping with the healed people and, and helping him. But it doesn't stop there. It says, and the 12 were with him. Then it says, and many women. Everybody say, and many women. It says, and many women. And then it names three of them, which is really rare for the Bible to name a woman. When the Bible names a woman, it's a big deal. And it, it names three. And it says, and many women such that were healed of infirmities and diseases. And, and it says, uh, Mary Magdalene was one of them, out of whom went seven devils. It said, and Joanna, and then it, then it tells you who Joanna's married to. It shows you her political status and her financial status and her, her societal status. It says, and Joanna, who was the wife of Ch a guy named Chusa, and Chusa 
was King Herod's steward. So the guy that keeps the king's money, his wife's running around with Jesus. So, and then it says, and Susanna, so Mary, Joanna, Susanna. Then it says, and many others. Many other what? Many other women. So we don't have any clue how many women ran around him with him all the time. We think of the 12. But these women went with him everywhere. And uh, it says they were with him. It says, and they, these women, it says they ministered to him of their substance. They supported him financially. In other words, they made the ministry happen. And, and women have always had a networking thing. Do you ever notice that? I mean, they just, they, they network. Well, I tell you, Renee is a connect the dot networking and has been all the years I've known her. Uh, and, and there's just a networking there. And so I, I can see Joanna in her status as, as the king's, her, you know, she, she's married to the king's accountant. And, uh, and, and, and I can see these other women that, that Jesus says, hey, guys, I think uh, the Lord's leading me uh, uh, next Sabbath. I think I'll be in Bethany or I think I'll be in Jerusalem or I think I'll, I think I'll be in Nazareth. I think I'll be in Capernaum. I think I'll, and, and all of a sudden, these women would start networking. Don't you know they would write little missives? That, that's a note for you young people. We, us old folks, we talk about we'd write a missive. And, and they'd, they'd send a little message to the ladies of that town in their status or their society level or their, their financial level or whatever. They'd say, hey, Jesus is going to be in your town next, next Thursday at 2 o'clock. I want you to get the sick people together. And they had all that stuff arranged and networked. And it says, and they traveled with him and ministered to him yeah. of their substance. So I, I encourage all you ladies to, that you possibly can to, st- to maintain that anointing of networking and be available to the church. And I, I know some of you have to work. I get that. I'm not a problem with that. But I'm just saying, I, I, if you can, make yourself as available to God and as available to, to the church and the work of God and to the pastor and his wife as you possibly can because you'll see your church increase dramatically if the women start tapping into that, that supernatural anointing they've always had. Yeah, Amen? Right. Amen? Right. And uh, I, know, I know traveling the men in the ministry these last number of years since women have been so strong in the workforce, uh, I, I know it's a lot of times on an airplane, I'm going somewhere to preach, and there'll be a lady sitting next to me or sitting in the aisle across from me, you know, and she's wearing a business suit, and she's got her briefcase, and she, she's working on her laptop, and she's, you know, and sometimes she'll end up staying at the same hotel I'm at. I mean, I'll, I'll get at the hotel, and I'll end up seeing her checking in at the same time I am, and, and then many times I've had the pastor come pick me up, and uh, as we're walking out of, the ch- out of the hotel to church, I'll, I'll pass by as I'm walking out, and there's the bar, and I'll see that woman sitting at the bar up there, you know, just... And I'm just saying that that's so sad to me that, uh, that that she's had to take on. Maybe she wants to. Maybe that, that career's her her life's long dream, and more power to her. But I just think so many times, man, that's a that's a pressure cooking uh, world that she's uh, either gone into voluntarily or been forced into. That uh, uh, or in the old days, the women would make church happen. Amen. So that's my soapbox for today. But happy Mother's Day. We we talked about you guys a lot. 
on Thursday on our program, I don't know how many of y'all watch our program. We have a YouTube program. Everybody say YouTube. We have a YouTube program. In fact, it would help us, and we'd appreciate it if you just take your phone out, go to YouTube. You don't know how to do that. Ask a grandchild. Go to YouTube, and then there's a, micro, there's a magnifying glass there. Hit that for search, and just type in Terry Mize Ministries, and then hit the subscribe button. When you hit the subscribe button, it just excites YouTube. Uh, they, they, it makes them think we're important or more important or something. And then there's a little bell icon right next to that. And when you tap that little bell icon, they really get excited about that. So it helps us preach, and it's free for you. It doesn't cost you a dime. Just go to YouTube and, and subscribe and then and hit the little bell. And so, uh, But anyway, we, we do a new program, a fresh program, every Thursday, every Thursday, every Thursday. And this Thursday, because we were going to be here Sunday today uh, and be in Mother's Day, we talked about you guys, talked about, talked about you, uh, Kim, and how I've known you since you were a teenager, and talked about your mom, Barbara, and talked about your dad, who I had occasion to meet many years ago with, with Brother Summerall. And, uh, and then, of course, Steve, I just lauded your family. I've known your family forever. I've known you since you were a teenager, you know, and uh, since you came to Rama. You know, we lived in Tulsa, and so I'd get all these Rama grads and or students and ORU students and VBI students and every other kind of student at my house because I discovered years ago students are always hungry. <laughs> and so we fed lots and lots and lots of kids. I've got several pastors of churches around the nation, and they say, I got through Rama because Terry and Jackie Myers fed us, you know. And they'd say, Sister Jackie fed us even when Terry was gone because I'd be traveling the world, you know. And then so they'd be going over, and Jackie Jackie would feed them. And uh, so anyway, we... Uh, uh, we we just talked about you guys. Talked about the Beerman family and about your dad and and your mom, Miss Ginger. And happy Happy Mother's Day to you, Miss Ginger. And uh, just talked about the, the the heritage and the legacy, you know. And and of course, Patsy has been so close to me. Patsy just about lived in my house when she left Colorado and came to Tulsa to go to Rama as a what seventeen eighteen years old, or right out of high school anyway. And she just virtually lived there because I, my little sister lived with us, Debbie Brown, who you guys know, and, and uh, Debbie is there. And so, you know, Patsy just hung out there all the time, and Cookie and Candy Harris and Brother Hagen's granddaughters hung out there all the time. Then all these Rama kids hung out there all the time. I, I never knew who was going to be there when I'd walk in. But just talked about that, that legacy and then Patsy, um, you know, marrying Tony and then going. And I tell her all the time because people are always trying to get her to stay in Tulsa. You know, and even, even don't tell anybody this, but even, even brother and sister Hagen always tried to get her to stay in Tulsa and uh, just said, boy, they were just grooming her, you know, and, and saw the potential in her. And, and, and Aretha, sister Hagen, was just a matchmaker. My goodness, she was uh, an anointed and meddling matchmaker. <laughs> so she's always trying to get her, get Patsy married off to somebody and stay there and help run Rama. And so I'd always grab Patsy's arm and say, don't you listen to Brother and Sister Hagen. I said, you know I love them. You know I'd die for them. I'd do anything for them. But don't you, don't you marry some guy and get stuck in Tulsa. Missions is in your heart. Don't you, don't, you, you're a missionary. And so when she met Tony and married him, they went to Italy. I was so happy. And uh, then they came from Italy to, to Singapore for four years, and I ministered for them there. And then they went to Australia, and are still there now. And, and told me in Singapore they were going to Australia. And, and so, uh, but we just had a longstanding relationship with with both your families and, and certainly with, with yours more so, you know, but uh, just, um, uh, you know, we just have a big love fest and love each other and, and uh, get excited about what God's doing. But we're, we're delighted that you're here. And where's that little envelope, Renee, you handed me a while ago, and I don't know what I did with it. It's not only a little envelope, it's a big envelope. Uh, since it's Mother's Day, y'all might be interested in this. Don't cringe. This is not a fundraiser. I'm not trying to raise money. The money's already come in. I've already spent it. But... Uh, 
This is what you guys have helped us with. We call it JMICF. My first wife, who's in heaven, Jackie Mize, a lot of you ladies know her because she wrote Supernatural Childbirth and, and all that kind of stuff. In fact, people called her the mother of the world forever, and she's in heaven. Uh, but anyway, so we called it the JMIC of Jackie Mize International Children's Foundation. We started that number of years before Jackie passed away. And, uh, and we help widows, and we help orphans, and we help poor people, and we help uh, disaster relief, humanitarian aid and stuff. But we, have, we make a big push every year at Christmas to get Christmas money to orphans because orphans, frankly, even though Jesus is the reason for the season, uh, sometimes the church gets left out and missionaries get left out and orphans get left out and the pastors get left out at Christmas time because everybody's so pushed and strained and pulled and everything. So, so probably, I've done it for years and years, but probably about 10 years ago, I actually just grabbed my phone and started just texting some pastors who are just personal friends of mine and partners of our ministry. And I just texted them and said, hey, we're just making a big push for Christmas uh, for orphans. I know your people are stressed and pushed and they've got kids and grandkids to buy for, so don't put any pressure on them. Just ask them if they'd give a dollar. Next Sunday, take up an offer and ask them if they'd give a dollar. And uh, we'll put all those dollars together and send Christmas to orphans. And so that pastors jumped on that and did it. I was just shocked at the money that came in. And so I've continued to do it. I think this is about the 10th or 11th year that I've actually done it by text. Where years ago, I'd do it just, you know, little by little. But Anyway, we didn't know what would happen this year. Renee and I said, well, it's the pandemic. It's people are out of work. Uh, uh, the economy's not good. And, and who knows what's going to happen. And, and we had our best year ever right. in, in a pandemic. And we had our best year ever. And, and so that's what this is about. This is the report of this, this Christmas. And uh, uh, we were able to reach 22 nations. You can see the nations around there. Uh, we reached... Uh, uh, we had three widow ladies in different countries. We put roofs on their houses. Five nations, we dug water wells in to give them fresh water. And then we reached, uh, what, 35 orphanages in 22 nations. And then, then five feeding programs on top of that. Then we bought two vans. We bought a van for a girl's orphanage in, in the jungles of Burma, Myanmar. I said we bought it. We paid the remaining $6,000. We didn't pay the whole thing. They had... They had found a van for six for nine thousand dollars, and they had three, so we gave them the other six. And and then we just did another one in India, just since the first of the year, uh, and sent them five or six to cover a, a van for them. So that's what that's what that's what y'all done. Our partners have helped us do uh, this year. And so there are a few of these. Renee has a few. She didn't have a bunch, but she has a few. If you'd like to have one, and like I said, it's not a fundraiser. It's telling you what we did with the funds. And, so, and then, there, and then that, that, that month, I had my monthly letter in there, too, so I think they still have it in there. So uh, I tell you, you'll like my monthly letter this, this month. It'll be mailed tomorrow and be, be get out tomorrow, but I, you'll, uh, you'll like it. Enjoy it. George, Nancy Rainey, good to see you guys. Samantha, praise the Lord. This is about as close as y'all's home I get. These guys just have a, they, they, they just show up anywhere I'm within three, four hundred miles in Texas. They'll, they'll show up at church. And they live out here at uh, Tau, Texas. I always say Tow. It's not Tau or Tow. It's Tau. T-O-W, just out here between here and Lano. And uh, so anyway, glad you all are here. Good to see you. And uh, we're excited about what God's doing. I've got an apostolic word for the church this morning. Is that all right? Amen. It's not just a sermon. It's not just a, it's an apostolic word. And not just for this church, for the church. Because we are living in some serious, serious, perilous Times and the church uh, is going to have to be the church. Yes. Renee, come on up and share real quickly. And uh, she's uh, 
Those of you that don't know, I just mentioned I was married twice. That may have messed some of y'all up. But my first wife, Jackie, as I said, Jackie and I were married 44 years, and she's the love of my life and the light of my life. But she left me and went to heaven, and Brother Copeland tells me she left me for a better man, uh, for Jesus. <laughs> and then Dean and Renee Garner, Dean uh, and Renee were married 44 years, same amount of time, and uh, he was the love of her life and the light of her world. And he ran off, and then just the very next year, Jackie ran off. And so uh, they left us lemons, and we just got married and made lemonade. But we've known each other. I mean, when, when we, we've known each other uh, for 46 Six years because at the time they both died, we'd, we'd known each other for 40 years. And the four of us were best friends that had traveled together all over the world and taken vacations together and mission trips together and helped help raise each other's kids. And our kids grew up and were in each other's weddings and stuff. And they pastored a marvelous church in Corpus Christi for 38 years. Jackie and I were missionaries, and they were pastors, and they supported us. So we've had a wonderful relationship for all those many, many years. And when Dean and Jackie ran off and left us, well, there were no surprises. I highly recommend you rec marry somebody you've known 40 years. Because there, there, there was no surprises that way. But anyway... We've been having a lot of fun. I tell people we've been married 94, 90, what, two years? 90, because I was married 44 and you was married 44. That's 88. Now we've been married six. Oh so that's 94. Oh so we like, mar we like marriage. <laughs> so uh, go ahead. L leave me some time. Okay. Well, like you said, we live in perilous times, don't we? And, we do. Uh, you know, when you're just like... You know, women, men, both, we can all be um, widowed, and, uh, you know, your life changes, and you don't really know what's next, and all those plans and dreams and, and things for the future are just now off the table, and uh, you have to uh, hear from God, especially if it's suddenly, and uh, you just, uh, you know, your, your, your thought life is not prepared for that. But your spirit man, if you're full of the Holy Ghost, can figure a few things out, <laughs> you know, real quickly. And I'm just so grateful for the grace and the mercy of God uh, to help us all in whatever situation we find ourselves to be in. And um, um, my mother is 93 with no health issues, doesn't take any medication, and she literally... Um, I guess her trials and tests, Barbara, have been over in the area of um, caring for my sister and brother that were uh, both um, very, very medically challenged, and she was their caregiver, has been their caregiver, and uh, she's been the one pushing them around in the wheelchairs, and then uh, they had... They're both in nursing, and I'll tell you all this real quickly. Uh, two, two and a half years ago, in one week's time, and they had all lived together, Barbara, for over 20 years. And um, neither one of them had any children, and they were in their 60s. And had, and in one week's time, um, my brother on, Sunday, on a Sunday night in fall, uh, two and a half years ago, uh, had a major heart attack. On Tuesday, my sister had a massive stroke, and, uh, and they're in the hospital, and mother's at home by herself on Saturday and fell and broke her hip. So all three of them, in one week's time, uh, were in the hospital. Terry and I were in Canada. And, uh, you know, I've had to walk through that two and a half years taking care of all three of them now. And, um, you know, it's just amazing how life can turn on a dime. 
isn't it? I mean, one day, like Brother Hagin used to say, your head's way up here in the clouds, and you're just rejoicing and thanking God, and the next minute, get your head's down where your feet are, you know, and you're just turned upside down with everything that's going on in life, and you young adults don't know what that's like, <laughs> and um, after you've lived a few decades, then you begin to figure out, this is not a piece of cake here, this is not... This is a whole lot different, you know, than what I thought maybe it was going to be as a child or a young person. But it's not the negative. You know, it, everybody faces all kinds of things out there in life. But as Terry was saying, so many women followed Jesus. So I never have felt like, thank God for my grand, wonderful Pentecostal church I grew up in, I never felt like I was the underdog. <laughs> I never, ever, ever, by those wonderful Pentecostal people, ever felt like I was not uh, right up there in charge along with the men. And so I never ended up being a feminist or, a, you know, bashing the men or feeling superior to anybody because of my gender. And how many of you know when you go to the throne room of heaven, God's not looking at your gender? How many of you know he's not checking out, uh, you know, your, your paraphernalia here as a, as a human body? He's looking at your heart. And man, that's what the Pentecostal people taught me was that God looks at the heart. I mean, he's, look, he's in there with the spotlight checking out what's on, going on on the inside of you. And so that's, that's why, you know, it's neither male nor female in that regard because God sees you as valuable. And I, I wanted to just read real quickly one thing here to you this morning, but over in Philippians chapter 1, I may have lost my place, but it says that we, I wanted to tell you mothers this, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 10, and I love this in the Amplified, this is so powerful because it has to do with, with raising quality people, making your friends quality people. You know, if you can have a lot of friends, but, but maybe they're not quality friends. <laughs> you know, I, I'd rather have a little that's quality than a whole lot of uh, frivolous quantity and meaningless quantity in my life. I do like shoes, though. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, everybody likes certain things, you know, and, and that God just made us that way. We're all different. And it's just wonderful for the variety that there is in the human race. I feel, I, I never feel like I have to apologize for my individuality. But it's still not about my color. It's not about my gender. It's not about my age. It's not about my bank account. It's about Jesus and that we are in the family of God together. And I am commanded to love you. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? And guess what? You're commanded to love me too. You know that we are in this to do the work of God so that people don't go to a devil's hell. Amen. So we want to choose the quality choices in life. We want to make quality decisions, decisions that bring value. How many of you want to bring value into your life? I want value in my own soul. So Philippians chapter 1, the apostle Paul writes in verse 10 out of the Amplified Bible. I'm sure Paul had that. So that you may surely learn to prize what is vital and approve and prize what is excellent and of real value, recognizing the highest and the best 
and distinguishing the moral differences and that you may be untainted and pure, unerring and blameless, so that our hearts with hearts sincere and certain and unsullied, you may approach the day of Christ, not stumbling nor causing others to stumble. Now, when I choose, if you'll read that in the Amplified, look it up when you go home if you don't have a hard copy. Um, you can go home and read that and begin to realize God has put the Holy Ghost on the inside of you, just like Romans 12 says, you know, that we may be able to choose what is the good, better, best. And the same thing here in Philippians chapter 1, verse 10, it says that you may be able to prize what is vital and approve what is excellent and of real value. And you can't, you know, like Pinocchio, you won't get taken to the donkey farm. You know, you won't be following the wrong people, listen to the wrong crowd, listen to the garbage that's on television. I mean, TV will dumb you down. It will make you the most stupid person in the room. And if you will just deliver yourself from those things, parenting, there has to be, if children are too young to make choices because they're all about the lust of their flesh, the lust of their eye, and the pride of their little life, as young as they are. I, Terry and I have 16 grandchildren between the two of us, and we've got them from the age of 2 to 22. And lust of the flesh just wants to take over on, at every age. And you're there to help them make the right choices. Because if it was left up to them, they'd be eating hot dogs and macaroni and cheese and candy and, and everything else is bad for them if you let them make their own choices. But because I'm there, they will eat better. <laughs> and they will brush their teeth and they will go to bed and they'll have clean clothes and they'll be cared for And because why? We value them. We value them. We value their lives, and they have to learn to value their own lives too. Amen? Well, there's a poem I want to read you real quickly here. It is like my all-time favorite Mother's Day poem, and uh, my mother read it to me many, many years ago, and uh, she was such a godly lady and just really, really... Um, my goodness, all the things that she did to get us in church and raise us and the, all the cooking and all the ironing. Mother was a tremendous so a seamstress and made all of our clothes, even my evening gowns and stuff when I did pageants and school functions and everything. She was the best cook. Everybody in the church wanted to point out, if Marianne made that cake, save me a piece, you know. And uh, those were some good days, like Terry was saying. Uh, God's quality is in each one of us. He's put eternity in our hearts, Ecclesiastes said. The goodness of God, you know. I, I just I wrote a little song a while back. It says, well, I'm sitting on my front porch thinking about the goodness of God. Yes, I am. <laughs> well, I'm sitting on this front porch swing thinking about all the things he has done for me. How he brought me out of darkness into the light. He saved my soul and he made me whole. I'm just sitting on this front porch thinking about the goodness of God. You know, I was sitting on my son's front porch. And I just started thinking about through many dangers, toils, and snares. I have already come. 
but it's his grace that will lead me on. Amen. This little poem is called, Are All the Children In? Kimberly, have you ever heard it? Old poem. Nobody even knows who wrote it. I think oft times at night, I think oft times as night draws nigh of the old farmhouse on the hill of a yard all wide and blossom starred where the children played at will. And when the night at last came down, hushing the merry din, mother would look around and ask, are all the children in? Tis many and many a year since then, and the house on the hill no longer echoes to the children's feet, and the yard is still, so still. But I see it all, the shadows creep. And though many years have been since then, I can hear mother ask, are all the children in? I wonder if when the shadows fall on the last short, short earthly day, when we say goodbye to the world outside, all tired with our childish play, when we step out into that other land where mother so long has been, will we hear her ask just as of old, are all the children in? That's a missionary poem. That's why we go to the world. That's why we preach the gospel to every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. That's why we send offerings. That's why we help orphans. That's why we help widows and buy vans for orphanages and look after the perishing. Rescue the perishing. <laughs> Remember that old song? Care for the dying. That's the church's task is to go do these things. That's why women, you have to be blessed financially. But it, everybody can work in prayer. Start in prayer, and then it'll move out into the doing. If you start in prayer and be, are strong in your prayer life, the more you pray, the better you'll do. <laughs> and you won't have to work so hard and take on the care of it. It'll just hit down in here. Something will just go cha-ching, and it'll be trust. Just You just move into trust. We trust the Lord to do what he said he would do. Amen. Everybody say, I trust the Lord. I trust the Lord. I trust him now more than I did when I was in my 20s. I trust him more now than I did when I was in my 50s. I trust him because he does not lie. <laughs> he never fails us. He is always faithful. He is always diligent. He is always orderly in everything that he does. And I just encourage you today as mothers, as leaders, everything in the home, you practice leadership in the home. <laughs> and men and women, when we do that, I was just, before I sit in here, I just want to say this one thing about Proverbs chapter 5, especially in the Amplified. It says that if you're married, it says, men, let your wives be tender, gentle, and attractive. And like Terry was saying, we live in, in a time now where women have had to take on such a harsh, hard, overworked load. A lot of things we enjoy. We, we can have a good time. But you know, on the other hand, there's a, there's a sense of God. Uh, keep this thought in mind. God never intended for Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of good and evil. He never intended for them to even have that knowledge. He never even wanted them 
I wasn't created to know the bad stuff. I was created to walk in the garden with God forever and never know evil. But now because there's evil, the curse has come on the earth. And it has deprived men and women of, of a lot of the goodness of God and the grace of God and the strength and honor and value that he created us to live in. But because of Jesus and this word and the indwelling of the Holy Ghost, we not only have leveled the playing field, but we can overtake and win every victory in life. That's why your church is so important, because Monday through Saturday, you might have forgotten that. And then you can come in here on Sunday, and we'll just nag you and, and teach you again, slap you around a little bit, kick you on the backside, and send you back out and say, go fight, win tonight. Amen. God bless you. We love your church and love your pastors. When I was 18 years old, I went on my very first missions trip. Uh, I'm not talking about some little deal where we went and, you know, another town over and painted a house or, you know, picked up some garbage and stuff. I mean, I went to the jungles of Panama and lived in the, in the jungle with an Indian tribe that didn't wear clothes. And we lived a wildcat style, no catch, no eat. If I shot a monkey, we ate monkey. If I shot a parrot, we ate parrot. If I, you know, shot a pig, we ate pig. If I couldn't shoot anything, we went hungry. And I remember one day I was so hungry, and I'd been hungry for a long time, and uh, I was hunting and took them out in the jungle and uh, couldn't find anything. I went to all the normal places where I thought I might find monkeys or pigs or parrots or whatever else and nothing, and I heard a, and I thought, that's a woodpecker. And you woodpeckers aren't that big, but I was hungry. And uh, so I traced that thing down. I kept listening, listening, following. And I found that rascal. And... Uh, Shot him. And he had a buddy, and I shot him. And so I took these two, see, I took these two little woodpeckers miles back to the village. That's all. That's all. And, uh, of course, you can't, you know, I couldn't have a, you know, roast them and have a woodpecker leg. I mean, they're, they're, they're. and so I just cleaned them, gutted them, and threw them in a pot of water and boiled them a long time and made, made a broth or a soup where I could get some protein. So, you know, that was my first missionary trip. I was, and that was 53 years ago, and I've, I've never come home since. I'm still all over the world. But uh, I, uh, that was 1968. And in 1968, <clears throat> the United States of America built and owned the Panama Canal. We, we called it the Panama Canal Zone, or the Zone. And uh, there's this strip through Panama, as you all know, where we dug uh, a, a trench from the from the uh, Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean, because otherwise ships all those centuries had to go all the way down to the end of South America and around the Horn and back up. And sometimes it took two and three weeks just to get just just to just to get around that point. They'd have to try it and then stop anchor, and the next day try it and stop anchor because the weather was so bad and the currents were so bad and there was so, people died by the. And so finally, 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 technology came along and, and people, somebody got smart and said, let's dig a trench across Panama and we can take those ships from one ocean to the other ocean without having to go down to the Horn. And so it was just a marvelous feat. But we owned it. The United States owned it. And so we had our military there. There was this strip, you know, about five miles wide uh, from ocean to ocean. The United States, it was America. When you stepped in there, you're in America. And so as an 18-year-old kid, I'm 
would blow in there a couple of times, you know. We'd only come out of the jungle once every month or every six weeks and buy, buy supplies and stuff. And I'd buzz over the canal zone, you know. And Man, it was just nice to go over there and the American flag's flying and there's soldiers everywhere and there's Americans everywhere and, you know, and the, and the food was good. And I mean, you know, it's America. And so because all these servicemen and women lived there, because all these government people were there, all these Americans were there, well, obviously their kids were there. And so their kids went to school there. And so their kids had gone to, you know, the elementary school, the junior high school, the high school, uh, and everything was just going along as normal. And one day while I was there, just, or just before I got there, I should say, uh, in 1968, one day Panama decided to pass a law that no flag could be flown higher than, a pan, than the Panamanian flag. Well, as you all know, America has the thing. This is no flag flies higher than the American flag. And, of course, Texas has a thing. We won't even get into that. You know? <laughs> I don't know if you all know this or not. Texas is the only state in the union where the, the Texas flag flies equal to the American flag. It doesn't fly <laughs> above it or below it, but it says, hey, we're... So, anyway. So, there was a great political consternation. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Panama's just passed this law. We can't, we can't, we, we, we're not going to dip our flag. We're not going to dip old glory. So what are we going to do? We're going to make Panama mad. What are we going to do? So the heads and powers that be got together and said, we just won't fly a flag. Period. Over and out. No flag flies. So everybody thought that was a great <clears throat> compromise, which it was, compromise. Everybody say Compromise. Not good. And, uh, and so they said no flag. But they didn't take into consideration American teenagers. And these high school kids said, well, now, bless God. I've gone to school under that flag all my life. And I'm not stopping now. Military kids, thank God for the military. You know that knothead Jimmy Carter gave it back to Panama. Dear Lord Jesus. Gave it back to Panama. What an idiot. What a dumb thing that was. Anyway. Anyway. These kids, yeah, we paid for it. And it I don't even give me a start. Anyway. These American military kids said, we're, not, we're not, not going to school without a flag. That's our flag. And so they didn't care what the adults said. They didn't care what the military said. They didn't care what the government said. They didn't care what the politicians said. They all got together and didn't tell anybody. So you think meet at the polls a new thing? Oh, no, no, it started there. And they said, we're going to meet at the poll Monday morning, and we're going to raise the flag. And so all, and none of the adults, none of the military, none of the government knew it. But I mean, those kids showed up before school Monday morning not by the thousands and raised that flag. And they told the adults, don't you ever take that flag down. And so they never did. They just continued to fly it higher than anything else. Now, my point to all that is, had the government come out last February a year ago and said, uh, we don't like church, so you're not going to church anymore. You're done. You lock the doors. You don't come to church. We forbid it. Guess what every Christian in America would do? I mean, Catholic, Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, Charismaniac, I don't care what it is. That'd, that'd have been, the church would have been full. Yeah. But they were smarter than that. Yeah. 
they switched it around like this and said, Pastor, would you mind just doing us a favor and not meeting for two weeks? So every pastor I know just said, well, a few didn't, but most of them said, well, sure, we'll be nice. You ask us to do that, we can handle that. We're, we're, we're big boys. We, we, we're Christians. We, 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 we can take two weeks. And here we are, what, 15 months later or something? And churches are still closed. Churches folded like a cheap suit. No, not this one. And not a bunch of others I know, but some are still closed. I talked to a pastor friend of mine on the phone last night, and he said, Terry, he said, there's a church down the street from me, 4,500 people. They've not opened yet. From last February to now, they hadn't hadn't opened. And they just announced this week they're not ever going to. They're just going to do online. And I said to him, I said, I said, uh, well, my friend, I said, that pastor is not a pastor. That pastor is a hireling. That pastor figures he can make more money staying home than he can going to church. And I've had pastors tell me that. Why, Brother Terry, with the church closed, we don't have to have children's workers. We don't have to have anybody to clean. We don't have to buy light bulbs. We don't have to buy toilet paper for the bathrooms. We don't have to have parking lot attendants. We, we, we're making more money shut down than we were. And I've said to them, and that's what it's about for you? That's what church is to you? It's a money making. This is your job? I've preached against that all the years I've known me. That's a hireling. Now, I don't have a problem with the pastor closing down for a couple of weeks or doing whatever you need to do and say, hey, we're nice and we'll, 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 we'll give you some slack. But, but no, this thing, this thing is out of control. Yeah. And I honor you that are here today in person. Yeah. And I don't mean to offend you watching online, but I am begging you. Yes. I'm imploring you. I'm pleading with you. Please. Please. Get back in church. Please support your church. Please support your pastor. Please be an example to your children and your grandchildren. Because the example you're setting right now, a few years from now when kids are talking about mom and dad, a few years from now when grandparents, grandkids are about grandma and grandpa, they're going to say, well, you know, they said they were Christians. They said they loved church. They said they loved the pastor. But you know, they just quit going to church, started watching online. Do you know, anybody in here, do you know what Amazon's largest selling item was last year? Seriously, Amazon's largest number one selling item last year in America, pajamas. Well, you should have bought stock in pajamas. Mask. The number one Amazon sale for last year was pajamas. Wow. Well, I'm suggesting we get out of our pajamas. Come on. Come on. Get in church and then get out in the world and get people saved. Because we are, in fact, the church. 
And like I said, all you folks here, I'm preaching to the choir. I'd wash your feet. You're heroes. That's right. You're heroes. Your grandkids and kids will say, I tell you what. They told mom and dad not to go to church. They did it anyway. You in Los Angeles, old Mayor Gil Garcetti, the knothead, communist, uh, he, he, he says, he told all of L.A. County, if you see your neighbors go outside their house, you report them. If you see your neighbors leave the house, report them. Now, that's what Hitler did. That's what communism does. That's what Nazis do. You know, this old missionary, for 53 years, I've traveled the nations of the world, and I've been to the communist countries. <clears throat> and I'll just tell you right now, just a little secret, Terry Mize despises communism. And I despise communists, and this makes it a problem when I need to get them saved, but they make me so mad. I have been invited to homes of prominent, wealthy communists, I've been invited to go ride horses with one of the leaders of Cuba who's a horseman and, a, and was the head of the Communist Party, still is the head of the Communist Party. And uh, I've just always declined and made up some excuse to no, thank you. And I love to ride horses. I'm a Texan. Uh, I grabbed one old communist man in, in Romania a number of years ago and he made some statements that weren't good. Man, I, got, I was out of my chair and had that old man by the collars and had him backed up against the wall, lifted him up and was telling him what for when my son-in-law and, and another pastor with me pulled me off of him and said, Terry, Terry, Terry. I tell you, I don't like communists. And uh, uh, let me tell you something. I've been to these communist countries. I, you, you know, the Eastern Bloc, the Eastern Bloc in Europe, uh, which is, you know, Romania, Bulgaria, East Germany, uh, Czechoslovakia, which doesn't exist anymore, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, they were under communism for 50 years. And then when the wall fell, you know, the, they became free. President Reagan said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Thank God for a president with some gumption and this an, like an American patriot. But anyway, um, when communism fell and those countries started coming back to be free and be a democracy or the best they could at it, you know, it was just such a change in, in the world. And, uh, and I've been to those communist countries. And we Americans have, we have our cemeteries full of our fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers, uncles, brothers, Cousins, sons, grandsons buried in cemeteries because they said we will not let communism destroy another nation. In fact, the word we had for it for since, since World War II, I guess, going into Vietnam and then into Korea and then on and on, the, the word we had for it always in America, you find somebody my age, they'll tell you, the, the term they used was the godless communist. Because that's what communists are. By definition, they're atheists. They're godless. Okay. Yeah. President Castro turned Cuba into an atheist state in 1963, into an atheist state and a communist state, and said there's, there's no God. 
And he said, there's no Christmas. Now, I went, I went in 2004 and 2005 to a Christmas tree to Cuba and changed that. Christmas, Cuba now has Christmas, but they didn't for 45 years. Wow. You, go, you go to Cuba at Christmas time now, and you'll see Christmas trees and Christmas lights here, Christmas girls. You didn't see those things or hear those songs for 45 years. Wow. Because the first, for a country to be communist, they, they know they have two enemies. And for a country to be communist, they must, M-U-S-T, must stop these two enemies because you cannot have communism if you have these two enemies, and that's the church and the middle class. You can't have communism in a country that has the church and has the middle class, mom and pop businesses. So what happened last year in 2020? Our government attacked the church and the middle class. Yeah. Do they think we're stupid, Stephen? They, they, said, they said, hey, buddy, COVID's smart. It won't get you at Walmart. <laughs> won't get you at Lowe's. Won't get you at Home Depot. Won't get you at Target. No, no. They won't. Boy, you go to church and it'll kill you. Yeah, that's right. Don't you go to church. It'll kill you no. dead. Graveyard dead. No. And don't you go to mom and pop business. Yeah. Don't you go to a mom and pop business. You can go to the liquor store, the tattoo parlor. You can go to the abortion clinic, but you can't go to mom and pop business. Now, why would they want to attack the church and the middle class? There is no other reason, except they want to take this thing socialist, and then socialism always, always goes to communism. What are we going to do with the phrase, the godless communist? We're going to stop the godless communist. Communists, our sons, our grandfathers, our, uh, our daddies, our husbands, they, 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 they died, gave blood to stop the godless communists. And now we're saying we want to be one. We want America to be the godless communist. Our grandfathers would roll over in their grave. Are y'all here? Yes. You know, we're not stupid. I'm, I'm beginning to wonder if we are stupid, but we're, we're, we're not stupid. The things they tell us make no sense whatsoever. No. And we just parrot the party line and say, duh, duh, duh. <laughs> I've been in so many restaurants, as I'm sure you have, and, and the host there at the hostess stand says, sir, you have to wear a mask. I said, okay. I've got one to make people happy. I've got one. I said, as long as we can both agree that don't work. I'll, I'll wear it, but you have to agree with me. It don't work, right? And they said, we know it. That's, uh, I said, now, now let me get this straight. I said, where's my table? It's right there. I said, okay. I said, now, now, when I get to my table, do I have to wear my mask? Oh, no. While I'm eating, do I have to wear my mask? No. Okay. So from here to there. <laughs> that's the combat zone, man. That's the, that's the deadly zone. So from here to there, COVID's going to get me. But once I get there, I'm safe. Are we stupid? Do y'all remember the old nursery rhyme we used to tell our kids that the emperor has no clothes? You know, the emperor was psycho, and so he, he just went around naked all the time. But he told everybody he had clothes on, and so the whole country pretended he had clothes on. And he'd walk out there buck naked and they'd say, oh, sir, you look so nice. That's such a lovely coat you have today. He's buck naked. 
and everybody's pretending that the guy's got clothes on. That's what we're doing now. We're all pretending. Now, don't take me wrong. COVID has killed people. I get that. I've buried some folks that, well, I don't know if COVID killed them or not. The, you know, when you're a doctor or a nurse or, or a doctor who signs a death certificate, you're standing there in the hospital, and this person just died. If you put on the death certificate, it was pneumonia, or it was a heart attack, or it was diabetes, or it was this or this or this, then you don't get anything for it. Yeah. But if you write COVID, yeah. you get $37,000. Yeah. You have to be pretty honest and pretty straight to say, hmm, all I got to do is write COVID and I get $37,000 or I can write pneumonia or car wreck or something. I was preaching in California the other day and I told a story about David and Goliath. I said, David took that stone, slung it, hit Goliath's forehead, cut his head off, took it back into King Saul and said, there it is, King. I don't think it'll bother you anymore. And I said, it was reported in the newspaper the next day, Goliath died of (laughs) COVID-19. No, COVID's real, but the numbers are not real. COVID's real, but the numbers are hyped. They're not real. It's a disease with a 99.4% recovery rate. I'd take those odds all day long and twice on Sunday. Yes. Are we stupid? No. Are we just pretending the emperor's got clothes on? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Great story. Uh, do y'all see what I'm saying to you? Yes. And I guess I wouldn't care so much. I'd just say, well, people are crazy. Except I see where it's going and I see the purpose of it is yes. destroy the church. That's right. And yes. destroy the middle class. That's right. Renee and I drove through Lake Charles, Louisiana the other day and stopped and visited with some friends of ours that just started a church. And they said, Terry said, there's three churches in this city, big churches, three. Lake Charles isn't all that big. Three big churches in this town that have never opened back up and this week announced they will never open again. They're done. They're over. They're not even going to do virtual. They're just done. Leadership. What happened? What happened? No leadership. Y'all hear what I'm saying, do you? Yes. They're attacking the church. Now, had they attacked the church head on, like I said, and told us all, you're not going to church. We, we forbid it. We don't like church. We, we don't believe in church. We don't allow church in this country. Why, well, we'd all been there and had our Bibles, and you couldn't have kept us away. Bless God, you tell me I can't go to church. But look, look how they did it. Look how they did it. And again, I know people have died of COVID. I'm not making fun of COVID. I'm not making fun of that. My dear, 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 dear personal friend, Fred Price. Y'all know who Fred Price is? At the great faith dome in Los Angeles and one of the greatest faith ministers in the world. Uh, Fred was my friend for 43 years. I mean, personal, close friend. And, uh, and he died and they called me and asked the family, called me and said, would you come out and take part of the funeral? I said, I'd be so honored to. And they say he died of COVID. And I said, well, I guess he could have, but... I told the family, I said, I've known Fred. For 43 years I've known him. Meals together, traveling together, meetings together. (laughs) And I said, he's one of the greatest faith men I know. I can't hardly, it's hard for me to wrap my head around believing 
that a third-rate disease would take out a first-rate faith guy. It's hard for you to sell it to me that he died of COVID. That man was a man of faith. Now, I know he got a glimpse of heaven on two different occasions. I know he saw heaven twice. And he even made the statement, said, I've made up my mind, I'm going. Well, you know, when a faith man like that says, I make up my mind, I'm going, there's not much you can do about it. But I'm telling you, it's, it's time that we understand that the emperor's naked. And they say, follow the signs, follow the signs, follow the signs. I am, and it doesn't agree with them. That's right. It says they're naked. Are y'all here? Yes. You know, we, the church seems to have forgotten why she's here. And I think she's forgotten why she's here because she's forgotten why Jesus came. That's right. Because we're here to do what Jesus was here for. We're here to do what he came for. We're here. His vision is our vision. His mission is our mission. His desire is our desire. His work is our work. They call him the Christ. They call us the Christian, the Christ-like one, the imitator of Jesus. Got real popular here, you know, a few years ago to say, what would Jesus do? Well, I guarantee you I know what Jesus would do. He'd be in church. You know, Steve, infectious diseases has been my thing for 53 years. I've been all over the world. I've been in the most infectious, nasty, disease-ridden, contagious places in the world, man. Yeah. I've hugged on so many lepers. You go to those leper colonies and hug on those lepers. That's one of the most disease, contagious diseases in the world. And going there and just hug on them and love on them. You know, I, I have prayed so many prayers in so many foreign countries for so many decades, and I'd reach over and lay my hand on somebody, and I did my hand would come back with just a bloody froth on my on my hands. You know, I used to think it'd be where I'd carry a towel so wipe the wipe the bloody froth off. You know, just so I didn't get on my clothes. But I mean, I've lived in those infectious diseases places all my life. What's your point with all this stuff, Terry? It's none of your business whether I stay home or not. None of your business whether I wear a mask or not. None of your business if I socially distance. That's exactly right. None of my business. I'm just saying, wear one if you want to. Stay home if you want to. Socially distance if you want to. I don't have a problem with any of that. Just don't do it because of fear. Because fear and faith cannot live in the same house. You're going to operate in fear or you're going to operate in faith, but you're not going to operate in both of them. That's right. That's right. If you want to wear a mask, it's none of my business. When I checked in the hotel last night, they said, they said Dr. Myers, you have to wear a mask. I said, are y'all still doing that? Yes, sir. I said, you know we're in Texas, right? Yeah. Yes, sir, but, you know, but, but the Marriott Corporation has said, I said, Marriott's an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I said, I'm one of the best customers y'all have. I'm the highest status you can get with Marriott or Sheraton, or Weston, or any of the rest of those people. I live in hotels. I said, why don't y'all go back to being a hotel and quit trying to be a health provider? That's right. I said, I don't need you to keep me safe. That's right. So I need you to clean my room. Yes. You know, you check in, they say, now, now Dr. Meisner, we only clean the, a room every seven days. I said, I said, you're as bad as pastors. You're a hireling. This is all about money. 
You're saving money by not having housekeepers. Of course, you're hurting the housekeeper. You don't have room service. That saves you money. You don't, have, you don't have a valet, that saves you money. You don't have a bellman to carry my luggage, that saves you money. So I'm doing all your work, and you're making money off of it, making more money off of it, under the guise of, we're keeping you safe, Dr. Mike. I don't need you to keep me safe. You're not a doctor. That's right. I need you to carry my suitcase. That's why I stayed at an upper-class hotel, so I don't have to carry my own suitcase. But now you're no different than Motel 6. There used, to be a, there used to be a gap between hotels. There's not anymore. They're just all bad now. All because of either fear or money. I said, y'all do know Governor Abbott just down the road here said Texas doesn't have a mass mandate. Oh, I know, but Marriott does. Well, how stupid is that? Do y'all understand what I'm saying to you? I don't yes. care if you wear a mask. I'm not making fun of you if you wear a mask. But don't do it out of fear. Yeah. And don't do it out of some fuzzy feeling of, I'm keeping you safe. Right. I'm good, man. I go to leper colonies. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You're keeping me safe? I mean, the, the, the Treasury Department and the State Department for decades wrote me letters and said, uh, Reverend Mize, and then later Dr. Mize, we understand you're going to such and such a country. Uh, we, we've, we've given a travel alert. We don't advise Americans to go there. You shouldn't go. And I've contacted them and said, I have to go. I have to go. I don't have a choice. I have to go. Woe to me if I don't go preach the gospel yeah. to those that roam also. Why make you this a do and weep, Paul said. Quit begging me not to go to Rome. You're, you're, they said they were falling on him and crying on his shoulder and begging him not to. He said, why make you this a do and weep? I, I, ha, I must go. I'm in debt. I owe the gospel to those that are at Rome also. They said, Paul, if you go, they'll put you in jail. He said, I don't care. I can't help it. That's not an option. And he made this statement. He said, I'm ready to be put in jail and to die also. Yeah. And what did he do? He went and got put in jail and died also. But he wasn't willing to not go preach. Yeah. That's right. Come on. Isn't that right? That's right. Agabus the prophet, and this isn't a bad prophet or a fake prophet, this is a real guy. It says, it says Agabus the prophet by the Holy Ghost. Some prophets are bad, you know, and they've got demonic spirits. But Agabus was a good guy by the Holy Ghost, the Bible says, book of Acts. And it says, Agabus, the prophet by the Holy Ghost, took the girdle and wrapped it around his hand and said, and said if you go, you'll be bound just like this. And he said, I can't help it. Yeah, none of these things move me. You know, he said in the first of, uh, <laughs> what, I lost my chapter. When he said, we feel like we've got a sentence of death over us. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians. I feel like we, we felt like we have a sentence of death. Yes. I've gone to so many places in my 53 years, I felt like I had a sentence of death. Yeah. Plus, I know that the office of apostle, which God's called me to, I know that, I know that always has the element of death, always has had. Yeah. You know? I mean, just look at all the apostles, how they died. Right. You know? And Paul said, I felt like we had a, the, the sentence of death. He said, but I can't help it. He said, but yes. you prayed. Yes. A partner's prayed. Yes. 
I used my faith, yes. and God delivered us. God honors his word. Isn't that right? That's the, I mean, I mean, you know, me using my faith, you praying, and God doing his part, you know, the three of us make a pretty, a threefold cord is, is hardly broken, the Bible says. A threefold cord. See? Are y'all getting anything out of all this? I'm, I, I'm begging you to get back into it. I don't, I'm not trying to make you mad. I'm trying to offend you by staying home. I'm just saying, I, I, I'm, I'm begging you to, we call ourselves word people. Well, the word says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some do. Yeah. See, because some do. Yeah. Some did back in that day. They just said, hey, I'm not going to go to church. Yeah. I know people that are happy about this. I've got some knot-headed friends on Facebook, and I mean, they're real-life friends. In real life, they're friends. And some of them are just so happy that there's, they're, they're, you know? Because now it makes them feel like they're in the ministry too. Because they've always screamed and yelled, I don't like church. I don't believe in the four walls church. The church is the people. And now they get to, now they get, to get on Facebook and have an audience and say so. The emperor has no clothes. Would, would, would we have gone to church in Nazi Germany whenever? Would we have gone? I know we've all dealt with this in church growing up. Is However long you've been in church, you probably have the same thought every other Christian has. Well, bless God, I'd have gone to church. Would you? Would you? People aren't now. Did you? <laughs> Let me read you a couple. You got time for this? Yeah. Zechariah 13, 7. Listen to this. This is so strong. It says in Zechariah 13, 7, Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. Churches are under an all-out attack. Smite the shepherd. Forbid the shepherd from speaking. Forbid the shepherd from operating. Forbid the pastor from operating, and it'll scatter the sheep. Smite the church, we could say, and it'll scatter the sheep. There's an all-out attack from, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this, from the United States government, our country. You gotta be kidding me. The red, white, and blue. Land of the free and home of the brave, and we're forbidding church. I know one huge church, thousands and thousands and thousands of people, and they stayed closed for, for almost a whole year until the people just started revolting, saying, this is nuts, Pastor. Why are we doing this? We're hungry. He's having virtual services every week, but, you know, that wasn't working, cutting it. And finally, he opened up after almost a year, and then the church people found out that the government had told him if he'd stay closed, they'd give him $4.4 million. What? Now that is a hireling. Yes, absolutely. That's not a pastor. And I love the guy. I know him personally. Love the guy. But that's not a pastor. Wow. Oh, sure, we'll close down for a year for $4.4 million. Prostitute. You're going to prostitute the church? You're going to prostitute the ministry for a measly four million bucks? While your people are begging you to feed them? Wow. 
pleading with you to feed them, saying, please open the church, Pastor. And some pastors have never shut a day. I mean, you know, I'm not talking to the, those people. Smite the sheep and you'll scatter, smite the shepherd, smite the church and you'll scatter the sheep. If I was the devil, that's what I'd do. If I was the devil, I'd do just exactly what Mr. Fauci did. Or Dr. Fauci. Let's close the church. I got an idea. Let's close the church. Yeah, where'd you get that idea? From hell? From the devil? Smite the church. And we'll scatter the sheep. The devil's so scared of the sheep. He's so scared of Christians. If I was the devil, I'd say, let's shut the church. Let's shut the church. What do you want your kids and grandkids to say about you? So your kids and grandkids, you give it five years from now, ten years from now, and they'll tell somebody, I'll tell you what, there, there was this crazy pandemic going on. At, <laughs> I mean, the government shut the churches, and churches folded like cheap suits. And, uh, but I'll tell you what, my mom and daddy said, nah, we're not doing that. My grandpa and grandpa, they, they said, no, we're going to be in church. See, I do a lot of leadership conferences, and I always tell people this. I say, the definition of, of, of a leader is to lead. The definition of leadership is to lead. And how do you lead? You lead by example? And Mr. Obama had this great idea when he was president. He said, let's lead from behind. <laughs> what? <laughs> Who ever heard of that? It's an oxymoron. Let's lead from behind. You can't do it. It's impossible. <laughs> not hid. That's not a political statement. I'm not playing politics. I'm telling you, it's an impossibility to do that. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it had to work out for you. It didn't. How did it work out for America? It didn't. No. You don't lead from behind. You ought to be at least as smart as Bill Clinton to say, let's see, which way is the wind blowing? I got to run and get in front of everybody and say I'm their leader. <laughs> Just figure out where the crowd's going and go get in front of them and say, hey, follow me. <laughs> Don't need an original idea. You just need to find out where the crowd's going and jump in front of them. <laughs> There's been a lot of emperors in the White House with no clothes. Oh, <laughs> and that's not a political statement. I'm just not an idiot. And I hope the church isn't. I just keep saying all this last year. We're not stupid. And then lately I started saying, are we? Yeah. Are we? Yeah. Renee and I just, yeah. what is the deal? Yeah. Compliance is the worst thing you can do. Yeah. Once you comply the first time, they got you. That's right. Because it never ends. And we're nice, and we say, we'll comply for two weeks. Sure we will. We'll comply for two weeks. And they say, yeah, gotcha. And it hadn't been two weeks. It's been 15 months. Yeah. No end in sight. Yeah. Now we got a president that says, okay, get vaccinated, and you're cool. And, and then he double, wears double mask. <laughs> when does it stop? Do you hear what he said the other day? And again, this isn't politics. It's just, this is just, man, you can't make this stuff up. The other day he said, well, the reason, and that reporter said, why do you wear a mask, double mask since you've been vaccinated? I thought that was supposed to make you, you know, cool. 
And he said, well, I do it because some random person might just walk up to me. And I'm thinking, the Secret Service is going to let some random person walk up to you? Of all the people on the planet, you're not going to get walked up to. If, if, if a random person getting through the Secret Service and getting to the president, uh, if, if that happens, that's the le- a mask is the least his problem. Yeah. <laughs> just stop and think about this stuff, people. Are we stupid? The things they tell us are just stupid. They're, they're asinine. They're idiotic. The emperor has no clothes. It's crazy. And we all just pretend, say, oh, man, that's a nice suit you got there, Mr. President. That's a great-looking mask you got there. It's just insane. None of us would care if they'd give us facts and figures and, and then live it. You know, they're just now kicking, uh, kicking Governor Newsom out of California. Thank God. And, and you know, because he told everybody, you cannot go to a restaurant and eat. And then he goes down to this really high-class restaurant named the French Laundry and eats. Same thing as Pelosi. You can't go get your hair done. Except she went and got her hair done. Same thing as Whitmer in, in, in uh, Michigan, the governor of Michigan. Same stuff with her. Just lying, hypocritical. Yeah. Well, just, just speak the truth and then live it. We can follow that. Yeah. But we're not stupid. I hope we're not stupid. Anymore. No. Gee whiz. Are y'all still with me? See, what about our children? What about our grandchildren? What are, we're, we're living an example. This is the biggest crisis probably ever presented in their lifetime. If, if it's a crisis. But we've made it a crisis. Whether it is one or not, we're in a crisis. Whether it's self-inflicted or whether it's... So this is the biggest thing they've ever had to deal with. So they're looking for leadership. Would we have gone to church in Nazi Germany? We've always told ourselves we would have. See, I know those pastors that did. First time I took Renee to Romania with me. Romania was under communism for 50 years and under Nazism before that. And uh, first time I took Renee with me and we stand at the front of the, and I had 200 or 400 gypsy pastors, 200 pastors and their wives, uh, gypsy pastors that I was ministering to. And so I told her, I said, I said, stay up here close to me because I want to introduce you to some of these guys. And I said, I want to, I want to say some things about them. And so there'd be somebody coming up the, the aisle to meet us. And I'd tell her, I'd say, look at, look at this guy's fingernails. Look at his fingernails when he gets here. I said, I'll shake his hand. I'll turn like this where you can see it. And I said, because the secret police used to take him to this police station and put his fingers in the door jam ball and then shut the door and say, where are the Bibles? Where's the church meeting tonight? Where's the church meeting tonight? Those guys. Another guy came up, and I said, see, he looks all nice. He's got on a suit and tie, and his hands look good, and his face looks good. I said, well, if we take his clothes off, I said, he's burned over all his body. Burned all over his body. Because one day, the secret policeman found out where the church was going to meet. Wow. And he went in there, and there's the kerosene lamps. And so the secret police guy takes the kerosene lamps out and dumps the kerosene out and fills them up with the gasoline and puts them back. So pastor comes in for the service and lights the first one. So see this guy here? This guy, this guy had his wife, pregnant wife, beaten in the belly in front of his face over and over and over until she lost the baby. See this guy here? They raped his 16-year-old daughter in front of his face, made him watch, and then raped his wife in front of his face and made him watch. See, these guys have paid a price. And, and, 
and then and then we try to tell them what what a what a persecution we have by having to wear a mask. Yeah. Those guys say, "You got to be kidding me." Yeah. See, because they they're, they're the real deal. That's right. That's right. That's they stood. They stood when they were told, "You stand and you'll die." Would you, would you go to church? Would you serve God if they're going to rape your wife? Your daughter? That's what these guys have had to face for years and years and years and years. Leadership. Leaders lead. Leaders lead by example. Come on, kids. Watch mom and dad. We're going to show you how to live through this. Watch grandma and grandpa. We're going to, we're going to show you how to live through this. <clears throat> I don't care what you do. It's in my business what you do. I'm just begging you, don't do it in fear. Yeah. Don't do it because you're scared. Renee and I started, we met some friends of ours the other day to go to dinner. Hadn't seen them in a while, started to go to dinner. And uh, as we walked in the restaurant together, uh, Renee and I walked up to them and Renee hugged the lady and I went up to the guy and I saw the fear in his eyes. He loves me, dear friend of mine. Wow. But I saw the fear. And so I stuck my hand out like this, and he, he literally subconsciously, he literally backed up a couple of steps. And then I just advanced on him and shook his hand and grabbed him and hugged his neck, you know. But, but, but the, 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 the fear, the fear in, 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 in the eyes was, was hurtful. I just thought, oh, God, he's scared. He's scared. I remember during 9-11, I was preaching in Ukraine on the day of 9-11. I preached there for several days and went to Israel and preached in Israel. And, of course, everything was locked down over here and blah, 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 blah. And I had two, two pastors supposed to join me on that trip. They weren't going to meet me. in One of them was going to meet me in Israel. The other one was going to meet me in Romania because I was going to Ukraine, Israel, Romania. And so uh, I was driving through Israel one day in my rental car, and uh, my cell phone rings to pick it up, and it's, 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 it's just one of these pastors. And uh, and he's in, you know, Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale's really nice. I like Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. And so uh, he's supposed to be getting on the plane and meeting me in Romania here in a few days. And so I said, hello. And he said, he said, oh, Brother Terry, like that. Oh, Brother Terry. And I thought, oh, he's scared. I said, what is it, buddy? He said, oh, it's bad over here. It's bad. He said, it's, it's so bad. It's dangerous. And I said, you're in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> and then I got on to myself. I realized that, that oh, he's, he's really scared. Yeah. And I don't need to be making fun of him being scared. Yeah. And I said, oh, it's, it's bad. And I said, it's, bad. It's, it's bad, is it, buddy? He said, oh, it, it's bad. He said, I can't, I can't come. I, I can't uh, I can't join you. The, the Lord wants me to stay here. And all that's fear. Yeah. I don't care if you go or don't go, but don't, 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 don't be led by fear. Right. Don't let fear rule you. Don't let fear control you. Yeah. What, if you what, what if you were one of the three Hebrew boys? And, he, you know, Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar the king likes these guys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego likes them. Has put them in positions of authority. Yeah. And then here come some bad guys. There's always bad guys that are saying, how can we stop the church? Yeah. How can we shut down God? Yeah. That's right. yeah. And they said, 
King Nebuchadnezzar, here's, here, we got an idea. How about, how about you build this golden statue? And then we'll, we'll call the whole nation together and we'll blow the horns and play the music and everybody bows down. Wouldn't that be cool? And Nebuchadnezzar said, yeah, that'd be really cool. Yeah, and you can pass a law. Here it is. We've already written it up. Just sign it. That, that anybody that doesn't bow down, they get thrown in the burning fire furnace. Well, okay, nobody wouldn't do that. I'm sure, okay. And so sure enough, they have the thing. They blow the horn and sure enough, everybody in the nation falls down except three guys. And uh, they get caught because there's only three guys standing in the whole nation. You get caught. And so uh, here come the bad guys. And they go to Nebuchadnezzar. Hey, these three guys that you like and you've appointed in positions, they didn't bow down and worship. And you said if they don't bow down and worship, they're going to die in the fiery furnace. So Nebuchadnezzar had to bring them in. Didn't want to, but he did. And then he, you read the story in Daniel chapter 3. I think I talked about it last time I was here because it's, I'm, it's I'm always bugged by it. But uh, Nebuchadnezzar called him in. He said, hey, guys, you know, instead of just putting them in prison or throwing them in the fire, he says, I'm going to give you another chance because he liked them. I'm going to give you another chance. Read it in Daniel chapter 3. He said, now, if you're ready, he, he explained the rules to them, said, here's what should have happened. When they blow the horn, play the music, you're supposed to fall down and worship. And if you don't, you get thrown in the fiery furnace. He says, so now if you're ready, that's what King James says, now if you be ready, we're going to do it. And you fall down and worship, it'll be well. Yeah, that's all you have to do. But if not, that's all you have to do. Just comply. Yeah. Yeah. Who cares? It's just, you know, all you got to do is bow down. Nobody will know. Nobody will see. All you got to do is bow down and we'll be happy. You'll be happy. I'll be happy. We'll, 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 we'll go along and get along. And so, then he asked them this question. You read it in chapter 3 of Daniel. This, this question is the whole crux of the whole matter. And it should be the whole crux of the whole matter to you too. Yeah. He said, here's the question. He said, he said, but if not, you'll be thrown in the burning fiery furnace. Question. And what God is able to deliver you out of my hand? Well, that was an easy gig for those boys. <laughs> they said, oh, king, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. Or in other words, we're not going to be politically correct here. We're not going to mince our words. We're not going to watch our words here. We're going we're gonna to tell you how the cow eat the cabbage. <laughs> you ask us what God can deliver you out of our hand? Our God whom we yes. serve. Yes. Now, listen yes. to the wording here. Our God whom we serve is able yes. and he will... Deliver us out of your hand. Oh, king. Yes. Now put that in your pipe and smoke it. And that's what made Nebuchadnezzar mad. That, he, he was so mad when they said that. The Bible says the visage of his face was changed. He didn't even look the same. And that's when he said, I'll make it seven times hotter. Well, what does that mean? I think I said that when I was here last year. I said seven times hotter is just a fear factor. And you did it one hot. So what if it's two times harder, three times harder, four times harder, five times harder, six, seven times harder? So what? That's all, that's all about fear. Because yeah, you did it one hot. Yeah. Right? True. But he added all those extra hots to scare them. <laughs> like, I'll throw you in the burning fire. Well, we're not going to bow. Then I'll make it twice as hard. We're still not going to bow. Then three times, four times, five. King, we're not going to bow down. I'll make it seven times harder. <laughs> So what? Our God still <laughs> is able and will yeah. deliver us out of your hand, O king. Yeah. 
And you know the story. They threw him in there, and then Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, it looks like there's four guys in there instead of three, and called them out and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come forth and come hither, because your God has changed the king's word. See, our God can change the naked emperor's word. Our God can change, but God needs a church to work with. Throughout history, I mean, all throughout history, some some disaster has happened, a war, a a sickness, a plague, a problem, something horrible has happened, and and the world, when it does, gets scared and runs and jumps in the foxhole. That's happened forever. World War I, World War II, 9-11, always. Always. But then they they kind of peek up over the foxhole and say, is there anybody out there that we can, and there's the church. So they climb out and run over to you and say, hey, you're not scared. You're not in the foxhole. Oh, no, we're fine. And so they say, well, I want to be like you. And they go to church with you. But this time, for the first time in history, the world got scared, went and jumped in the foxhole. And they turn and look at the guy next to them, and it's the church. <laughs> the church is in the foxhole with them. So it's like they look up, there's nobody out there to be the leader, to be the example. We're in a foxhole leading from behind. We're in a foxhole saying, don't do like I do, do like I say. Are, are y'all with me? Yes. What about Daniel? Would you, would you have prayed in, with your window open where they could see you after they told you if you did, they'd throw you into the lion's den and you'd be eaten by lions? They made a decree. Had King Darius sign it. In fact, in fact, and they even not only had him sign it, they said, now, King, this is, you're signing this by Babylonian law. Babylonian law meant once the king signs it, he cannot take it back. He cannot change his mind. He cannot say, well, I'm the king. We're not going to do that. So it's irrevocable. And sure enough, they issued the decree. You can't pray to any god but the baloney gods, the phony gods. And sure enough, there's Daniel. Opened his window where everybody can see. And three times a day, he's praying to God. So they take him before King Darius. Darius is so sorry. He likes Daniel. And he's so sorry. Daniel chapter 6 is where you find this. And he likes Daniel. And he says, Daniel, I'm so sorry. But I can't do anything about it. And he personally took him to the lion's den. And personally put him in the lion's den. And then the last thing he said to Daniel, he said, I'll be back in the morning, buddy. And he said, I believe your God can deliver you. That's amazing. Isn't that great? Absolutely amazing. And so the first thing, I mean, first light the next morning, King Darius was there. Daniel, was your God able to deliver you from the lions? He said, rest at ease, King, I'm here. These kitty cats just made a nice pillow and a nice blanket all night. We're fine. Well, the king said, get him out of there. Got him out of there, and they went and got, he said, go get those bad guys. And they went and got the bad guys, threw them in there, and the Bible says the lions break their bones to pieces. But see, would we have done that? Would we have, would we have complied? It'd just be so simple. Hey, Kimberly, you love God anyway. You don't, you don't have to pray where they can see you. God knows your heart. Don't you hate that phrase when church people come to you and say, if God, if, if God knows my heart, God knows my heart, Brother Terry. Yeah, sadly he does, you hypocrite, coward. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? 
I always love it when people come to me and say, now, Brother Terry, now, now, now here's how God deals with me. I know what the Bible says, but now here's how God deals with me. Right, right. And my answer has always been, no, he doesn't. He deals with you the same way he deals with everybody else. There's the word, do it. You don't get a special dispensation. You don't get a, you don't get a hall pass. You don't get an excuse. You don't say, well, Steve and Kimberly have to do that, but you don't have to because you're special. I deal with you special. You know, first time I ever preached in Cuba, I don't know, 30 years ago, I flew in there. I'm a pilot. I rented a twin engine airplane, actually flew in from Miami, landed. <clears throat> Had 200 pastors that I'd gotten a couple of other pastor friends together together. They were scared. They were so scared to meet. And so uh, we arranged for a building, a place where they could come and and I arranged to feed them. In Cuba, it was illegal at that time. Some of it's still illegal, but it was illegal at that time for a Cuban to eat beef. They couldn't eat beef. It's illegal. And they couldn't eat seafood. Now, you'd think an island that's surrounded by the ocean. <laughs> it's got crab and shrimp and lobster and fish, but it was illegal. The government got to eat it, and they got to sell it to other countries, but the people couldn't eat it. So uh, I'd go in there and I'd go to the black market and buy all that stuff. I'd buy beef, I'd buy seafood stuff. And I'd feed these pastors. I'd feed them these sumptuous meals, you know. I was over there one year. They were they were eating they were eating brooms and mops. Now most Americans don't know you can eat a broom or mop, but I and I didn't either. But I found out you can because what they do is they take they take pig fat because they got lots of pigs. You're allowed to eat pork. There are pigs everywhere, and so they take this pig fat, you know, bacon grease, and. Uh, boil, break brooms and mops down and put them in there and just boil them for hours and hours and hours and hours. And at some point, that fiber begins to break down, break down, break down. And then when you eat it, it tastes like ham, you know? So it's not, not a bad deal. And so they were eating brooms and mops when I was over there one year, eating dogs. And then one year I was over there and they were eating people. And uh, what happened was the, 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 uh, hospitals, some of the hospitals, not all of them, but some guys in the hospital, all these people looking to make money, they would sell the human cadavers, the dead people, to these restaurant owners, and the restaurant owners would cook them up and serve them. Oh. So both, uh, it'd be like asking you a riddle like, what, 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 <laughs> what do restaurant owners and hospital executives have in common? <laughs> but, uh, and of course they went to jail for it, many of them went to jail. But anyway, my point was, I, I, I got there, going to preach these 200 pastors, and so I got to the first meeting, and I was a little bit late because we had to go through some government stuff. So I was a little bit late, and when I got there, nobody was there. And there's just three or four pastors. And uh, they, they ran to me when they saw me coming, Brother Terry, Brother Terry, uh, the, the military came, the military came, and, and, and they came to arrest you. And I said, came to arrest me? And they said, yeah, they came to arrest you. I said, what for? Well, because you're here, because you're preaching to pastors. And I said, okay, well, where is everybody? I said, they, they, they ran. I said, man, out the windows, they went out every window and doors, and they ran for their lives. And I said, you know how they do? They said, they said, you know, the military comes in three or four trucks, and they come up real fast, and they slam the brakes on, you know, and dust goes everywhere, and they jump out with their guns. I mean, it's, it's all a fear thing, all of it. And, uh, and I said, well, I'll tell you what. I said, you guys get some guys and go, go every direction and try to find these guys and get them back here. I said, I'm going to go down and talk to the military, and I'll be right back. You can't go down there. They came to arrest you. I said, that's why I'm going to see them. And so uh, I had a friend of mine from Miami with me, and he said, 
we're going down there. <laughs> yeah, of course. We're. So we went down to the military base, and I walked into the main office, and this receptionist or secretary or whatever was there. And I said, I, I've come to see the, the commandante. My name's Terry Myers. Well, do you have an appointment? I said, no, but he came to arrest me a few, you know, a couple, an hour ago, so I'm sure he won't see me. Oh, yeah, yes, sir. They went and got him and brought me back. I walked in with my friend. We sat down in two chairs in front of the guy's desk. And I said, hello, sir. I said, my name's Terry Mize. And I said, I, uh, I heard you came to arrest me a little while ago, and I wasn't there. And I said, so I thought I'd better come down here and see what's on your mind. What can I do for you? And he was just shocked. He said, and, and so we talked a little while, and he said, I know what you're doing. And I said, you do? I said, well, I do too. I said, what do, what, what do you think I'm doing? He said, you're bringing pastors together and talking to them about the Bible and about God. And I said, you're exactly right. That's exactly what I'm doing. He said, well, you can't do that. I said, why not? God tells me to. The Bible tells me to. Didn't your mother love God? Did you ever do anything for the glory of God? He said, Finally, we talked there a little while, and I, and I said, I'll tell you what, sir. I said, I got I to get back. I got a meeting to go to. I just wanted to come down here and <laughs> chat with you and see what you wanted. And I got up, shook hands with him, turned around, walked out of his office, went and had my meetings. But, you know, you just, we have to always not be in fear. Yeah. I had a bunch of teenagers in Jamaica with me one year. I had 64 kids. Had adults with me, the chaperones, teenagers. I'm training these kids to win souls. We're out on the street. We're passing out tracks. We're stopping people. And I, I trained them how to stop somebody, look them in the eye, shake their hand, and lead them to Jesus. And we were winning souls like kitchen fish in a barrel. And all of a sudden, this police car comes. We heard the siren before we ever saw it. And, and, it, come, and it just stopped right in front of me. It just slammed on the brakes and skids. And, so, and they jump out. Three, three guys jump out and, and, and said, Dr. Myers? I said, yes. He said, you're under arrest. Get in the car. Come with us. I said, okay. I said, just a minute. I said, uh, I need to, I've got 64 kids out here. I need to tell my son what to do with them. I said, you're under arrest. You're not going anywhere. You get in the, you get in the car, you're under arrest. I said, and I said, I said, wait a minute. I've got 64 kids out here. I'm not just going to leave and leave them here. I'm going to tell my son to get them on the bus, take them to the hotel, to feed them dinner, and uh, I'll be right back. So I walked over to where my son was and told him what was going on. I said, Get them all back at the hotel. I said, I'll be there by dinner time. And so I went back, got in the car, and they put the lights and sirens on, and all those kids were watching me drive off, and I'm waving out the window, you know. <laughs> so we, we, we got to this government office, police headquarters, and they took me upstairs and down the hallway to this office, and, and I walked in this office, and there's this woman sitting at the desk. And, uh, boy, she is not happy with me. And uh, she had a big old Bible, big old thick Bible right on the desk. I thought, aha, she's on my team. I was wrong. She was not on my team, nor was she on God's team. And, uh, and, and so I sat down. I said, yes, ma'am, what can I do for you? She said, you can't do anything for me. She said, I'm deporting you right now. I'm sending you back to the United States. I said, no, ma'am, you're not. I most certainly am right now. I'm having my officers take you to the airport now and take you back to, uh, and send you back to the state. I said, no, ma'am, you're not. What do you mean I'm not? I said, well, I've got 64 kids here. My wife's here. I've got a couple of grandkids here. And uh, you, we're not leaving until next Saturday. Our tickets are good until Saturday. We're not leaving until Saturday. We, we're, we're. She said, you can't talk to me like that. I'm deporting you now. I'll have my officers take you, stop by the hotel, pick up your wife, pick up your grandkids, and take you to the airport and send you to the state. I said, no, ma'am. You're not. I'm not leaving. 
you can't tell me you're not leaving. I said, well, I'm not leaving. And she slammed her fist, her hand down. She said, do you know who I am? I'm the second highest authority in this nation. And I went, do you know who I am? I'm a king and a priest of almighty God, and I've got more authority than you do. And the phone rang. I don't know who called. Now, if she's the second highest, it must have been the first highest. I don't know. But, but I never heard who it was. And I couldn't hear what they were saying. But I could hear what she was saying. So I'm sitting there in front of her desk, and she's got the phone up like this. She said, yes, 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 sir. Yes, he's here right now. Yes, sir. Well, why? <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, why is he so special? <laughs> yes, sir. All right, sir. Good day. Thank you. You may go. I said, thank you, ma'am. Appreciate it. And I went back to the hotel and got there by dinner time. And when I, we started to leave Saturday, I had them all at the airport to leave. Three guys show up out there. One of them I knew. And uh, the other two I didn't. They all show up at the airport, and they come over to me, and they said, Dr. Myers? I said, yes. They said, uh, we, we've just come here today to see you and to apologize to you. Uh, I said, what for? And they said, well, for what happened to you the other day. I said, I don't think anything about it. It's fine. They said, no, it's not fine. They said, uh, they said uh, tell us what you want to happen to that officer. I said, excuse me? They said, they said, the officer that arrested you, the lady. I said, yeah. What do you want to happen to her? Do you want her milking cows in the country? Do you want her to lose her job? What, what do you want to happen to her? And it'll happen. Wow. And I said, no, sir. I said, gentlemen, I, I don't want the lady to lose her job. I don't want, I don't want her to be hurt. I said, Here, here's what I want to happen. I said, I don't ever, ever, ever want this to happen to anybody else. I said, what if I wasn't me? I said, what if I was just a pastor from the States with this youth group or as a youth leader with a youth group and, and they'd have rushed up there and their sirens and brought them to jail and, and then, then took them to the airport and deported them and left all those kids. Yeah. I said, now I didn't do that. That didn't work with me. But what, 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 what if it had been somebody else? Yeah. I said, so I don't ever, ever, ever want this to happen again. They said, we give you our word. It'll never happen to anybody again. I said, well, that's all I want. Thanks. Yeah. But see, you know, it, it's, a, it's all a fear tactic. Yeah, that's it. And yet we have to say, I'm going to preach anyway. I'm going to go to church anyway. I'm going to yeah. pray anyway. I'm going to read the Bible anyway. I'm going to raise my kids right anyway. Right, right. And we've got to lead by example. Yes. Not from behind, by example. We've got to be the leaders. Would, would we risk our life? Would we have risked our lives? Would we have met in the underground church? The underground church is still all over the world today. They're still killing Christians. Would we have done that? Would we, would we go to church knowing they're going to kill us? You know, there are provinces in Canada. Canada is so much more shut down than we are. There's provinces in Canada that they've arrested pastors, and there's, and there's provinces where it's, it's a $1,500 fine for you to go to church, for the church people, the sheep, to go to church. $1,500 fine. Would we do that? Wow. Would we risk going to jail? Would we risk death? That's what these guys all did. 
You know, the last three times I was in Burma, which they call Myanmar now, but I was in the jungles of Burma ministering to an Indian tribe. And uh, in, in Burma, they have a, a, it's a Buddhist nation, and they have a Buddhist army that's 100,000 strong. And uh, they hate this particular Indian tribe, which is why I'm there ministering to them. And so uh, they, they, they've, gone into, they've gotten into bed with communist China. And communist China is, 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 is landlocked. There's no water there. And so Burma is on the ocean. And so communist China is building a road across Burma, Myanmar, to the ocean. Which if you read the book of Revelation, it'll tell you the great dragon from the north with a militia of 200 million men, which China has, uh, will come across uh, and, and to, the, to the, build a highway to the water. And uh, so the Burmese used to kill this tribe. Used to just, just attack, a, attack a village and kill the people. I've been going over there a long time. And, uh, but since China's wanted to build this highway, now they just attack a village and take the people into slavery and make them build, work on the, on the highway until they die. And then they go attack another village and take them and go attack another village. When they need people, they just go, you know, do that. And so uh, some of y'all may remember in World War II, how many of you folks older than, you know, my age would remember the old movie Bridge on the River Kwai? Remember that movie? Bridge on the River Kwai. Now, Bridge on the River Kwai is really a bridge and really there, and I've been there several times. And 60,000 prisoners of war died building what they call the Burma Death Railroad because they were building, or Japan was building a railroad from Bangkok, Thailand, all the way across the jungle to uh, Rangoon, Burma, which they've now named Yangon, Myanmar. Uh, and they call it the Burma Death Railroad because they'd just take these prisoners of war. It was mostly, now the movie said, had Americans there. They weren't, they weren't Americans. In that theater, it was, it was the British and the, and the Australians and the New Zealanders, uh, you know, and, and that, that sort of stuff. But 60,000, uh, and I think some Dutch, uh, 60,000 prisoners of war died building that thing. I've got a picture of me somewhere standing right there beside it with the sign up there saying 60,000 people died. And... Uh, so that's what they're doing now with China. They're, instead of a railroad, they're doing a highway. And so uh, they, they, the Chinese fighter planes, before they go take a village, will strafe a village, you know, with, with machine gun fire, and then the army will come in ground. And so the last three times I've been there trying to minister, or minister, not trying, ministering to that, that tribe, uh, the Buddhist army, this isn't just on one trip. This is three distinct separate trips. Uh, we'd send flyers out, have the, have the, I need to quit, have the uh, uh, flyers printed up and, and, and runners run to all the villages and put the flyers up and say, come see a man sent by God, the blind see the deaf hear the lame walk, Jesus Christ to heal you, and so on and so forth. And so they'd see those flyers, and then they'd send me personal death threats. And, 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 the, and they said, do you tell Terry Mize, if he comes out here, we'll kill him. And so then they sent the messages, you know, to, to the churches, and the church sent them into, Bang, into Thailand, into Chiang Mai, where I was. And I said, you just take a message back and tell them that I'm coming in the name of Jesus and Buddha can't kill me. And so I went. The next trip over there, same thing. Tell Terry Mines if he comes out here, we'll kill him. You tell them that Jesus, I'm coming in the name of Jesus and Buddha can't kill me. And I went out there and preached. Third time, you tell Terry Mines if he comes out here, we'll kill him. <clears throat> and I said, take this message back. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. This is the third time you said you're going to kill me. You hadn't done it yet. And there's more with me than with you. You've only got 100,000. You better get some help. 
And I'm coming and Buddha can't kill me because I'm coming in the name of Jesus. And so I went out and preached. And, and missionary friends of mine said, now Terry said, you know that the, the, uh, those trails are land, got landmines on them into the villages. I said, I know. And, and so, you know, Chinese fighters are strafing. I, I know. You know, there's mortars going in and howitzer, you know, going. Not, yeah, I know. And, you're st- and I had my oldest son mold his daughter with me that trip. I said, you, you're going to take Lynn and Lori with you in that situation? I said, well, yeah. They said, well, if you're not going to use wisdom, that's what Christians always tell you when they want to put some unbelief on you. You, you better use wisdom, brother. They said, well, if you're not going to use wisdom, at least leave your kids here with us where they'll be safe. And I said, well, my kids are going to be safer with me than with you. They're going to be wherever I'm at, they'll be safe. And, uh, and here I took Lynn and Lori out there. And here Lori's just a little dainty thing, you know, and just walking those trails that are landmined. And, 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 and you know, they were felling trees. And we were walking across the bouncing on the trees, walking across a, the, a ravine or creek or whatever. Got out there and God fell. Thousands and thousands of people were saved. This one particular camp I went to, they had 28,000 people come in from other camps. Just, wow. And just... Miracles and miracles and salvations and salvations. And, and, the, and the army, the Buddhist army, had been attacking these villages at night like they'd sneak in. Assassins would sneak in. And they'd know where the pastors slept, know where their hut was. And so they'd go in there and kill the pastors. Because again, what do you do? You smite the shepherd and you'll scatter the sheep. So pastors are on the number one hit list. And, uh, and so, and so I, I sent the church, the village, a message before I came. And I said... I said, here's what the Buddhist army said. I said, but I'm telling you, no one that comes to my meetings will have a hair of their head touched. You will be safe in my meetings. And, uh, and sure enough, they all were. But they did attack, uh, and they did kill a Baptist missionary who wasn't at my meeting. Had he been at my meeting, he wouldn't have been killed, but they did kill him and, uh, and kill some other people that were not at my meeting. But we had miracles I think I told you a story one time about them carrying this man in. That's this, that's this particular trip. And he's, his wrists are tied, his ankles are tied, and they've got him tied to a pole. So two guys are carrying him like a pig. Like there's a guy in front with this post and then a guy in the back with the post and the guy swinging in between them on a stick like, a, like an animal because he couldn't walk. He's paralyzed. He's, his hands were drawn like this. I've got pictures of him at home. Uh, and his feet were drawn like that. Couldn't walk, hadn't walked his whole life. He was gray-headed, so he's on up in years. And, and I saw him one day carrying him in there, just walking him in there. Just, he, he just dangling, swinging from this pole. And they brought him in there and laid him down. And I tell you what, God healed him while I was preaching. And I prayed a mass prayer, a healing prayer. And I said, now do what you can't do. If you couldn't walk, walk. If you couldn't move your arm, move it. If you couldn't do something, do it. If you couldn't see, see. Do something. And, and, and they were all standing up. And so I couldn't see him anymore. He's back over here on the floor, on the, on the dirt. And uh, my missionary friend yelled at me and said, Terry. I said, what? He said, he's flapping his arms like a chicken. <laughs> and I said, tell him to keep on flapping, man. And so in, in, you know, in a little bit, he said, Terry, he's setting up. I said, praise the Lord. Tell him to keep on working. And, you know, that guy ended up getting up, walking off healed completely, well done. And I know I'm over my time and over my time and over my time. But, but, but this was an apostolic word, Amen. an apostolic word. Uh, a scripture I wanted to give you. I won't elaborate on it, but you ought to at least have it. Ecclesiastes 7.14 says this, In the day of prosperity, rejoice. But in the day of adversity, consider. See, there's nothing wrong with you rejoicing when things are going well. That's right. Man, it's easy to be a faith man when everything's working. Isn't that right? I love that song y'all sang earlier, uh, Kim, Stephen, talking about uh, waiting. 
That's so powerful. Because I've said for all these years, I said, God said, as long as time remains, there'll be seed time and harvest. Yes. And I've always done like this. I said, now notice there'll be seed, then there'll be time, and then there'll be harvest. Right. And we need to understand that because it's in the time. Yes. Time is probably the best. Time is probably the place, not probably. Time is the place where faith works the most. Yes. Because if it happened over here the, the second we planted it, you know, we just don't rush in there and harvest it that day. Unless you're the grandkids that pull up the flowers that you just planted. Um, but you plant and then there's a time. And then there's a harvest. And so I've taught that for years. The, 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 faith, is in, the, faith, the faith part is in that time part. That's the tough part. That's the hard part. That's the, that's the part where you could doubt and fear and waver and wonder and, and mess up. So the time part's the important part. But I loved, I loved that. I, I loved, uh, uh, that, was, that, that was great. But seed time and harvest. But anyway, in the day of adversity, January of 2020, last year, man, things were, Unemployment was down like this among everybody, among blacks, among Hispanics, among women. I mean, hardly any un unemployment uh, prices. The stock market had blown out record after record after. I mean, everything was great. God didn't mind you rejoicing. The day of prosperity, have a ball, rejoice. Give more to the church, right? He said, but, but when the day of adversity comes, and it will, it always does. Then you consider. You don't act the same way. You don't do the same things. Yeah. You consider. Yeah. You pull in a little bit. Yeah. You get in control. You know, if you're out here on, say, in the hill country, you know, and, and there's some kind of curves up some of the hills or something, uh, you slow down as opposed to being out here where, you know, on the, on the 130 loop out there where you can do 75, 85 miles an hour, Okay. But, but when it's like this, you slow down. Right. Or if it's, if it's raining heavily, all of a sudden you're doing 85 miles an hour, and boy, here's the thunderstorm just drops on you, you slow down. Yes, Isn't that right? You know, I'm a pilot. You know, your dad was a pilot, and uh, your dad was, was not a pilot. I say that to you every time, because I, I, I always think of somebody else. Uh, right, he's on the plane, bless him. But, but a, a, a pilot, every pilot knows that every plane has the, and I think I talked to y'all about this, so I won't, I won't preach on it. But there, there's cruising speed. That's the speed you ought to go at. That's like the speed limit on the highway. Then there's top speed. That's, that's how fast it could go if you just put the pedal to the middle. And then there's a thing called maneuvering speed in a plane. Every plane has it. Whether it's a jumbo jet or a little single-engine puddle jumper, you look in the glove box and, and you look up the speed, and you'll have top speed, cruising speed, and then maneuvering speed. That means if the turbulence, you hit turbulence, you need to slow down. Otherwise, you yank the wings off the thing. Oh, wow. and, 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 and all of y'all probably have been on an airliner sometime, and you're just flying along. Everything's great, man. The pilot's just cruising. And all of a sudden, you feel that plane just slow down. You can feel it in your chest. You, know, you, you feel him slow down. In fact, I've looked out the window a few times and said, did he just stop? Did he just park? <laughs> what, what's I mean, it's just a drastic slowdown. Well, why did he do that? Not just for fun. It's because either he heard from a control tower somewhere, center, or he heard from another pilot saying, hey, there's bad weather up here. Yeah. Or either he just hit it, bad weather unexpectedly, and he slows down. Because yeah. you can't just barrel through that turbulent no. weather no. At, at top speed or cruising speed. 
Same way on a, on a cruise ship. They've got these monster weights in the bottom of every ship uh, that are called ballast. Uh, and, and then whenever, whenever the weather's good, man, they're, they're pushed in. They're screwed all the way in to the center of the ship. And, man, the ship's just going. Everybody's having fun, fun in the cruise ship. You're golfing and shuffleboarding, swimming and shooting shotguns or golfing or whatever you want to do on a cruise ship. Uh, but then when the weather gets bad... Then the captain will say, everybody go back to your cabins and drain the water out of the pool and, you know, batten down the hatches. But then he screws these hydraulic uh, big screws, screws those weights all the way out to the edges of the ship. Now, you can't see them. They're inside the ship, but all the way to the hull. And that gives ballast. That gives balance, gives weight. And so what, what did he do? He's considered. He slowed down to maneuvering speed. So all my kids' life and all my grandkids' life, you know, they'd come to me and say, hey, Daddy, or later, hey, Papa, uh, you know, there's a school play, there's a function, there's a, there's a blah, 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 can I go? There's a party, can I go? Sure, I don't care. But then sometimes after it gets closer time, I'd have something in my spirit. Yeah. Your parents know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And I'd say, um, I know, I don't mean to disappoint you, I know I told you you could go, but I just feel like you shouldn't go. Oh, Dad, oh, Papa, I know, but I just, I just, I'm, I'd be better if my chicks were in where I know where they're at tonight. Yeah. I always called it the natives are restless. I said, there's something going on out here. The spirits are restless. Something, I don't know what it is. I can't put my thumb on it, but something's going on. I'd rather you be here. Yeah. And so uh, when they all grew up and got older, they'd come to me and say, Dad or Papa, so we never liked it when you told us the natives were restless and we couldn't go somewhere. So we always felt safe, though. We knew that we knew that we, everything's going to be all right because, wow. you, you know. So that's, 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 in the day of adversity, consider. Yes. Well, I tell you what, the church is in a day of adversity right now. Yes. And we need to do some serious considering. Yes. Are, are we going to just comply and be the sheeple that just get led off to slaughter by the Pied Piper with no clothes on? Or are we going to say, we're Christians. We belong in the house of God. Our kids belong in the house of God. Our grandkids belong in the house of God. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna stand. If everybody, whatever happened to all those confessions we've made for 50 years? Whatever, whatever happened to 1,000 fall at my side, 10,000 my right hand, it'll not come near me. Whatever happened to no plague comes my, not my dwelling. Whatever happened to the angels have charged over me to keep me in all of my way and lift me up with a national hoodie and stuff. Whatever happened to all that? All of a sudden, yeah, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood. And all of a sudden, the emperor has no clothes, and we're pretending that they do. Stand up with me. i got to let you all go. This is, this is getting embarrassing now. As long as I've ever preached in one service, ten and a half hours. So I didn't do, I didn't do that much today, but it is, it is six minutes to one. Praise the Lord. Thank you for being so gracious. Thank you for being so patient. And those of you watching online, again, I love you. I did not mean to offend you. I'm not trying to offend you, but I'm begging you to take a real stand. Take a stand and come to the house of God. David said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And let's don't, let, let's don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The Bible said, God said that, as some do. So I encourage you, beg you, plead with you, love you, but get, get back in church. And whatever you do, don't do it in fear. Don't do it in fear. Don't let that demon drive you. Say it with me. Fear and faith, fear and faith. cannot live in the same house. Say it again. Fear and faith, fear and faith. cannot live in the same house. Father, thank